Alice will read Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 to 15. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will, f- that, sorry, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds victory in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you, and understanding will guard you. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who leave the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in all their ways. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word that uh, gives us wisdom, uh, wisdom to live our lives your way, uh, the way that we've been created to live. And we pray now for ourselves and also for the children in Sunday school uh, that uh, we would be uh, growing in wisdom and uh, growing in our relationship with you and being challenged to put you first in our lives. Uh, By your spirit uh, and your word, change our minds and our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Who is influencing young people these days? Uh, (coughs) Where do young people learn their values from? Uh, You know, there was a time when the, without dispute, the number one influence in the lives of young people was their parents. But that's kind of open to debate these days. I don't think it's quite that clear. And it's interesting just thinking about the history of things because I understand that during the first half of the 20th century that uh, things were very different to the way that they are now. In fact, the word teenager was not even a part of the language back then. Did you know that? Uh, There were... Uh, only two categories of people. There were grown-ups and there were children. Uh, If you were a child, that meant that you went to school and once you left school, you were a grown-up. You got a job. You took on responsibilities. Uh, You often lived at your parents' place until you were married, but you had to pay board. You had to pay your way. Uh, But even so, parents still had a big say in things. Uh, It seems that things changed quite dramatically after the Second World War. Uh, We became, as a community, more affluent. Uh, With the return of men from the war, the birth rate jumped dramatically as couples started families that had been put on hold during those years of the war. And that, of course, created the generation which we now refer to as the, the baby boomers, the baby boom generation. Uh, 
And it didn't take too long for a gap to develop between the children and the grown-ups. It's sort of like a middle kind of territory uh, which became known as a new breed of creature called the teenager. And uh, companies, uh, they were young, uh, they was, there was lots of them, and they had more money than previous generations did. Companies started to recognise this, and so for the very first time, they started designing and selling products and services which were specifically targeting that group. It meant that parents were now losing influence. And the, uh, the music, the fashion, the leisure industries, uh, they were all targeting this, this new market, this new category of person called the teenager. And of course, uh, with the advent of television in 1956 and the <coughs> development of the pill and the sexual revolution of the 60s, um, parents found themselves engaged in a, in a competition, uh, in a competition for their, the minds and the hearts of their children, their very own children, to influence their children. And now, uh, well and truly, over a half a century later, the competing forces have only uh, increased. With the uh, <coughs> information flow of the, the internet and especially social media, uh, shaping the thinking and the values and the behaviour of young people and often for profit. Now, the book of Proverbs is big on the idea of parents influencing their children. Uh, as parents being the prime uh, influences over the thinking and the character and the behaviour of the younger generation in their families. Uh, the first eight chapters of Proverbs are full of lines like these ones. Um, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. My son, do not forget my teaching. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. And so on. It's right throughout the uh, first eight chapters of, of Proverbs. And so what role do Christian parents and older members of the family play in terms of influencing the younger members of the family? Uh, do we, um, in the context of the complexities and the sophistication of all of the competing forces, do we simply hoist the white flag and give up? Uh, or, and give our lives, the, the, the shaping of our children's lives over to their peers, over to commercial interests? And if not, how should parents, and indeed how should grandparents, be influencing younger members of the family? Well, as we wrap up uh, our series on wisdom today, Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through to 15 is our key passage. And here we see something of the heart of the godly parent. Uh, the Proverbs are attributed to Solomon and here Solomon wants to influence his son and we can, by extension, uh, uh, 
extend that to, the, to daughters. Uh, Solomon wants to influence his son uh, for three critical reasons. Let's have a look at what those reasons are. Uh, the first is in verses 1 to 5. I'm going to read that just to recap for us, uh, where he says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you will find the knowledge of God. We've talked uh, in this series about the preciousness of wisdom and how it's more valuable than all the silver and gold that you can imagine. And here Solomon, we see, wants his son to understand two things. He wants him to understand the fear of the Lord, but he also wants him to find the knowledge of God. And I want to focus on that knowledge of God. What does it mean to know God? It's more than just knowing about him, isn't it? I mean, you know, there, there are lots of people that we can say that we know in a sense that we're familiar with that person. I know the Prime Minister. Uh, well, his name is Scott. He's spent time living in the Southern Shire. He was born in the 1960s. He's a Christian. And actually all of those attributes would apply to me, except he's Prime Minister and I'm not. Uh, we can say that we know a person in the sense that we know certain facts about. But when I say I know my wife, well, I'm talking about a personal, deep relationship that I'm well acquainted with her uh, on a very personal and an intimate basis. To know God is not simply to be aware of God. <laughs> There are a lot of people who are aware of God in terms of aware of his existence. It's not just knowing things about him. It's not just knowing that he is righteous and just and he is great and so on. To, to know God, it, it is not a sterile religion. It's not a formality. It is a personal relationship. And that is what Solomon wanted for his son. Now, there are many things that uh, parents want for their children. What do you want? If you're a parent or if you're a grandparent, what do you want for the younger generation in your family? Uh, we might uh, want them to be healthy, <clears throat> to be successful, uh, to have financial and relational security, to have a family of their own. And these things are, are good things. These are desirable things. These things can be the gift of God but what should be our priority? What should be the very thing that we would want for them more than anything else and irrespective of how they go in other areas of life? How about that they should fear the Lord and that they should find the knowledge of God? I'm always encouraged by the Apostle Paul's appreciation of um, Timothy's faith. Uh, in, one, in 2 Timothy, Paul recounts to Timothy uh, something about his faith, that, uh, that Timothy had been taught the scriptures from the cradle. Um, the scriptures which teach us about how to know God, how to be saved through the Lord Jesus Christ. The scriptures which are 
thoroughly equip us for every good work. And you know who taught Timothy the gospel? Well, in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, Paul says, he talks about this faith that Timothy has, which first lived in your grandmother, then in your mother, and now I'm persuaded lives in you as well. It seems from that that it was Timothy's mother and his grandmother who taught him uh, about Jesus, who taught him about the death and the resurrection of Jesus and what it means to have him as Lord and Saviour. In shaping the next generation, we are to teach them and we are to give them every opportunity to learn about Jesus. Uh, which, by the way, I think is, is different from just teaching kids laws and rules and regulations, <laughs> uh, as important as those things may be. Uh, we had a book at home when our kids were young. It was called Toddler Training by Dr Christopher... Re Put up your hand if you've had that in your household. Dr Christopher Green. Okay, you can see who was raising kids 20 years ago <coughs> by those hands. Uh, not a bad book, by the way. Um, one of our children, Andrew, started reading at an early age. And when day, one day when he was six years old and his sister Alyssa was three years old, I walked into the lounge room and there he was, relaxing in the lounge chair, reading toddler training. <laughs> I said, what are you reading? He said, I'm reading about how to control Alyssa. <laughs> to which I thought... If you can do that, you're a better man than me. Uh, a little while later, I came back in and he still had his head in the book and he looked over the book and I said, what are you reading about now? He said, I'm reading about how to train myself to stop picking my nose. And I thought, well, keep reading, kid. Keep reading. I actually don't know anything about raising children. I just handed them the textbook and told them to self-regulate. So... If only it was as easy as that. If only it was as easy as that. In Raising Kids, there's a lot of helpful books which can teach us about clear instructions, um, boundaries, consequences, consistency in raising our children. And at early stages of their development, uh, clearly uh, children can understand concrete absolutes and do's and don'ts uh, much better than they understand principles. But look at Solomon's second goal in teaching his son. Verses 9 and 10. Let me read that for you. In verse 9 he says, Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path, for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you, and understanding will guard you. Solomon, yes, he certainly wants his son to know God personally. That's step one. But when we have a personal relationship with God, what, what does God give us? Well, it's not just rules and regulations. In verse 6, the Lord gives wisdom. And from wisdom comes character. And we've looked at what wisdom is. <clears throat> wisdom is that ability to, to discern, to, to look ahead, to see what's, where a path is leading, to see what's around the corner, to stay away from danger and to 
to stay on the track that on, on the right path. That's wisdom. And so the son in verse 9 knows what is right and just and fair because wisdom has entered his heart and knowledge is pleasant to his soul. That is, he learns to figure out things by himself. He learns to figure out issues of righteousness and justice and equity because, because he wants to. It's in his heart. Now, I, I know that we like it when our children do good because we've told them to do good. But when they are in a new situation and by themselves they figure out what would please God and then do it, well, that's sweeter than honey, isn't it? That's called success in godly parenting. That they're standing on their own two feet. They're applying wisdom to given situations. The wisdom of God. And we know that in that, what we are witnessing is the development of a godly character. I think that there's, there's in a sense, that there's... Um, uh, very, there's similarities between a parent raising their child and, and, and congregational life and what we would want for each other as Christians, no matter what age we're in. I think we see this in Colossians 1. Can we just flip over to Colossians 1 for a moment into the New Testament? Because of the way that the Apostle Paul um, speaks to the Christians in Colossae, um, Paul is he's really excited by them. Uh, in verse 3 of Colossians 1, uh, he is excited that they have, they have come into a knowledge of God, that they have they, they've feared the Lord, they've put their trust in Jesus. And down in verse 9, he says this, he says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you, and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. So what we see there is the same kind of principles that Solomon wanted for his son to know God and to be filled with wisdom in the way that he would live his life. It's the sort of thing we should want for us, each of us, shouldn't we? But especially for the younger ones in our families. You know, someone once said, was talking about greatness, and said, and I quote, what makes for true greatness is starting something which will live after you. And that's what Solomon wants. He wants his son to be a, a mature, godly character who spiritually can stand on his own feet without dad. And for Paul, uh, having that desire for the church led him to unceasing prayer for the Colossians. Uh, the third thing I think we see in Proverbs 2 uh, that Solomon wants for his son is protection. And if we pick it up again at verse 11, where he says, 
Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who leave the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. I think this is not about wrapping the sun up in cotton wool, is it? Uh, No, Solomon knows that if his son develops a godly character when he is young, then chances are there's going to be a lot of painful mistakes in life that he simply won't make. Because wisdom helps him to see the two paths and where they lead and shines a light on the way of God so that he will stay the course and be protected from falling into traps uh, early on in his life. So Solomon's three goals for his son are knowledge of God, to be in relationship with God, uh, to, to have character and protection. And what he's doing here is he's passing that faith on down the line to the next generation. In the Bible, families are like a long spiritual chain where each generation is responsible to teach the gospel to the next generation as that they would know and love and serve the Lord Uh, Just like Solomon passing it on to his son. And I think that we see this even uh, in Moses. Can we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 for a moment? Um, The last, I think the last passage we'll look at. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Comes after Numbers. Deuteronomy, Joshua... Deuteronomy chapter 6, and I'm going to read from verses 1 onwards. Everyone got that? In my Bible, that's on page 130. That's the plain covered Bible. The other one will be a bit different. Deuteronomy chapter 6. These are the commands, decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands, and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. That's a very familiar passage to us, isn't it? People of Israel were about to enter into into Canaan, the promised land. They were to be God's people, living in God's land, under God's rule. 
And I've got to say that it's not as if they would not be exposed to pagan influences. It's not as if Israel's children uh, wouldn't uh, uh, come under the influence of um, false gods and idols. They were to drive out the Canaanites and drive out the false gods and the, and the idols. In fact, no matter what age we live in, uh, we don't ho- hoist the white flag. Um, God expects adults to influence their families in every age, no matter the complexities of the competing influences. And God expects adults to influence their families generationally. Now, not all of us are blessed with children. Um, Some of us will have a uh, special ministry to nieces and nephews and other young people within the congregation. But responsibility is what we do have. We have a responsibility to influence them for Christ so that they will then, as they grew up, influence their children for Christ so that their children, as they grew up, will influence their children for Christ and so on. Now, I don't know if Cassie or I will um, end up with grandchildren, but just in case... I've been praying for our grandchildren since before our children were conceived (laughs) because we need to always be thinking generationally, multi-generationally because that is so often how God works. Many of us here would have been taught about God, taught about Jesus by our parents, even our grandparents. The influences on the thinking Uh, the values and the behaviour of young people today uh, seem to me to be more sophisticated and more complex than they ever have been. I don't understand the influences. I don't understand how complex it actually is out there. How then can Christian parents and grandparents influence the next generation for Christ? There are a lot of good practical Christian books that you can um, buy online or at the local Christian bookshop that will help in this area. Um, I'm sure there's lots of them and I'm sure some of them are really good. But here's just three helpful points. Number one, authenticity. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 7 says, and I quote, The righteous man leads a blameless life. Blessed are his children after him. Now, of course, that means that uh, uh, they are blessed because they've got a godly parents, a godly household. Uh, They're blessed because of the legacy of that. But it also shows that if we truly want to influence the next generation, we have to be more than just words. Young people see through hypocrisy and they resent hypocrisy. We have to be the kind of people that Solomon wanted his son to be. People who are righteous, people who are just, people who are fair. And not to be one kind of person at church and a very different kind of person at home. Children see that and they resent 
hypocrisy. We must be people who truly know God ourselves, who intimately uh, know God and trust in Jesus. Because you simply cannot pass on to someone else that which you yourself do not possess. It doesn't work that way. Our faith, our hope, our love must be what our children and our grandchildren see and experience in us every day. We must be authentic. We will fail from time to time. And our children will see that. But overall, they need to see that we are people who are wrestling in growing in godliness and trusting in Jesus. Secondly, uh, we see in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that we must teach God's word. And Deuteronomy 6 talks about uh, teaching God's word when, when you're at home, when you get up in the morning. Uh, we must be teaching God's word as we read the Bible to our children. And we ought to be reading the Bible to our children as much as we possibly can. Uh, every day, if possible. And we ought to be talking about God and discussing the Word of God and talking about how wonderful and loving and gracious and as we walk down the street with them. In other words, God's Word should infuse all aspects of our lives. You know, we're not alone in this job either. As a body of Christ, we help one another. Sunday school and youth group are absolutely great for that. Not so that we can outsource parental responsibility to, a, to the Sunday school teacher or the youth group leader or the paid minister, but rather that they would learn God's word in fellowship with one another and build godly friendships, friendships that... That, uh, uh, that I think that we see in our church and certainly over the last 21 years of working here, I've seen how things uh, happen generationally and how uh, young people have grown through Sunday school in their relationships with one another and those relationships have continued into junior, into junior youth group and continued into senior youth group and now in adult life, uh, how there are these long-term relationships of um, mutual Christian encouragement uh, amongst the people of from our, the young people from our church that go into adult life. And thirdly, we should pray. No, actually I want to intensify that and I say we should be wrestling in prayer. We should be agonizing in prayer for our children and that means not just the occasional prayer from time to time but every every day in as much as we are capable of doing so there are other activities that we do um, every single day of our lives we eat food we clean our teas we we all sorts of we ought to be praying for the children, the young people of our families and our congregations every day like we do any other 
daily activity in life and we should be wrestling in prayer for them. Now, of course, there's no guarantees. Uh, we can do everything God's way. Uh, we can be <clears throat> people who uh, teach the truth, who are authentic in modelling our relationship with God. We can be people who are praying and they may still turn away from the Lord. And that, I know, is an issue for some of the members of our church here. A uh, godly Christian couple I know uh, in Christian leadership, they have five children. And uh, I'm not talking about Peter and Joe here. <laughs> but I heard the husband uh, was speaking. Uh, in a, there was a group of us and he was sharing with us about this. And he said, you know what? If we had stopped having babies after number three, I could, be a, I could claim to be an expert in raising godly children. <laughs> but we went on and had numbers four and five. And what he's saying is that same family, same parents, same Bible teaching, same prayerfulness, same modelling godliness... And three adult children living for the Lord and two not living for the Lord. So what do you do? Well, in their senior years as parents, grandparents and now possibly even great-grandparents, what are they doing about that? Keep on being authentic. Keep on teaching Jesus. And keep on praying. <laughs> That's wisdom. And it's the kind of wisdom that is going to enable the next generation and the generations after that to know the true wisdom of God, the wisdom that is found in Jesus and his death for us and his resurrection. So I want us now to spend some time praying and we're going to be praying for these very issues. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your wisdom that uh, through your word that we can come to know you personally and that we can grow in our knowledge of and our love for you and live in a way that does please you. We thank you ultimately for your wisdom in Christ Jesus who has died for us and been raised from the dead and that by your spirit we are now enabled to have faith and to grow in godliness. Lord, it is our desire for the young people of our families, the young people of our church, that that gospel would be firmly rooted in their minds and in their hearts, that they would be rooted and established in Christ, that they would grow up in him and that they would be bearing much fruit. Father, that they too would be able to pass on the seed of the gospel to the generation that follows. Our Lord God, we pray for ourselves that we would not be hypocrites, that we would be authentic. And the authenticity of your working in our lives would be naturally shown in the way that we relate with our, our young people. Father, we pray that we would take every opportunity 
to teach them your word, uh, to be reading the Bible with the young, uh, our children and our grandchildren, to be giving them every opportunity to get to church and to Sunday school and youth group and, and not to be able prioritising other things. Father, we pray that you would make us prayerful people, that we would not give up praying, that we would continue praying and praying ceaselessly, ceaselessly uh, for all of these things. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.